0: Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here. I'm back after my terrible sickness, the plague that I had. Just a quick reminder to subscribe to the Press Gallery if you haven't already. Uh, throw us a rating on wherever you listen to podcasts as well. That would be great. And um, if you have any questions or comments or concerns or photos you want to send me, please do so. I am at egraney at postmedia.com or super easy to find on Twitter, Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode.
1: Hooray!
0: <laughs> Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast. I am your host, Legislative Affairs reporter Emma Graney, and this is the Losing Our Balance edition. It is Friday, March 23rd, 2018, and with me today, my fellow Legislative reporter Claire Clancy. Hello, Emma. How are you doing? It's been a few hours since I saw you. I know, I've missed you so much. How have I? It's great to see your face again. Paula Simons. Good day. Good day, Mark. How's it going?
1: It's going well. Thanks. Do the whole podcast in that voice, please. Keith, please. Keith's do not do just not do that.
0: shaking his head, going, oh, "Why did I agree to come on again this week,
2: Keith's Right. I know it's been a while. It's so nice to see you all in here. It's always
0: a pleasure to see you, Keith. So this week, as um, you might have picked up from the title, or perhaps if you follow Alberta politics at all, you might have realised that we might be talking about the budget this week. Shocking, shocking. I know. <laughs> um, We're also going to briefly talk about caribou. And we will be talking about Marlon Schmidt, our Advanced Education Minister here in Alberta, who we don't talk about super-duper often. And he'd probably rather we weren't talking about him for this reason. (laughs) (laughs) He's fine with it, I'm sure. But I do want to start with the biggest thing that happened this week, which of course is basically Christmas for journalists, the budget. Budget day. It was yesterday. Paula, you are the only one who didn't cover budget. I was, for most
3: of the morning, the only journalist... I mean, we had editors, but I was the only writing person in the newsroom, <laughs> and I had the scanners near my desk, and I kept praying the whole time, please, God, don't let anything happen, because <laughs> I will have to single-handedly cover any large fires, plane crashes, train derailments, but happily, for many reasons, that did not happen.
2: You're a writing person now?
3: I'm a writing person. I'm okay. A, I'm, I'm going to call I'm,
2: myself that. Now. I'm not a, a journalist, <laughs> not a reporter. I'm, I'm a, a writing person. I'm, I,
0: I believe the post-media term is content creator. Ah, yes. <laughs> (laughs) Nice. Uh, Now, Clancy, this was your first Alberta budget, wasn't it? First
1: Alberta budget, very different from the Saskatchewan budget, which um, you and I also both covered where you could bring it home at night. Yeah, you could. You
0: could take it home. You could read it with a glass of wine. In your pajamas. Just
1: write the stories the night before. It was incredibly relaxed. This was a little bit more fast paced than that (laughs) was. But um, yeah, it's the one day of the year kind of when all journalists seem to descend on the Alberta legislature and... uh, Read a lot about fiscal uh, things. See, I don't because
3: I <laughs> here in Alberta, I mean, we keep that embargo very tight. I mean, just so people, but people listening at home who have never been in a budget lockup can understand. I mean they all go in and are locked in a room and they're not allowed to phone anybody and they're not allowed to be online. And they're not... they take your cell phones away? No. No, no God, no. no. They did... Try they, that. that from my cold, dead hands. But, you know, you can't... You cannot be on Twitter. You cannot... Yep. You know, they're, they're in a cone of silence. Uh, and so that is to... Pres- you know, that is to keep the information in the budget that could have an impact on stock markets absolutely silent so that nobody can get any kind of insider trading advantage. Uh, so I don't understand in Saskatchewan. they
0: It's awfully trusting to let you take stuff home. You know, there's only a million people in the whole
1: province. They're going to track down who leaks anything pretty damn quickly, I would say. It makes budget day incredibly smooth and just so relaxed. Very, <laughs> so very relaxed. I appreciate so, it. Keith,
0: um, what did you think about what you saw in the budget?
2: Uh, Well, the number that everyone's talking about, of course, is $96 billion, which actually isn't in the budget anywhere. (laughs) No. That figure is is nowhere to be found. uh, We had to pry it out of the government officials at the technical briefing in the morning and – um, that's the number of the, the debt that Alberta is going to have in by 2023 when we're supposedly going to be back at a, a balanced position. Um, that's a really big number. I think that uh, a lot of Albertans are going to look at that and go, wow. And even though the government says any government that was in power because of the, the downturn in oil would have to have gotten a, a big de- debt and deficit number and uh, the price of oil kind of made it inevitable, that's still uh, – A a large number that I think Jason Kenney and Stephen Mandel and others are going to uh, going to be repeating an awful lot in the year to come.
1: And I think too yesterday there was a lot of discussion about kind of different line items in the budget and what the different types of debt numbers are that are thrown out but to be clear that $96 $96 billion um, when Ralph Klein famously held up the sign saying we've paid off the debt. That was at zero. That line item was at zero in the budget. So I think that really was kind of the stark contrast that the opposition was speaking to yesterday in reaction to um, to the budget. You know,
3: and that's the really important point that Claire makes because it's it's easy enough to say, well, when Ralph Klein said the But, you know, the the debt was zero. That didn't include the infrastructure debt, you know, all of the uh, deferred maintenance that happened, all of the other kinds of, you know, the pension debt, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, you can go on and on and on about all the things that Klein wasn't counting. But at the end of the day, the actual debt debt number was zero and 96 billion is a lot more than zero.
0: Yes, $96 more than zero. A lot more. Yeah. A few numbers to highlight here. Uh, The deficit for 2018 is pegged to be $8.8 billion.
3: And I was surprised by that because I thought they were going to get it. I mean, they were already saying, you know, they had it down to 9.1. I mean, maybe they're being conservative so that, you know, they they have that number slightly larger. And then if they come in uh, with less, they can say C.
2: It's true. But uh, in other ways, they're being kind of bullish or, or not conservative right and so much of this plan they have this path to balance depends on the trans mountain pipeline getting built pretty and much all <laughs> of it depends on yeah. the trans mountain yeah.
3: pipeline. and, and there, you know uh, there is no as i think i think emma Cranny wrote there is no plan b i mean no, the, there is the, not the plan is to get the trans mountain pipeline built and that's fine if you're just going to say well it's going to be built we're not going to accept any answer that isn't it being built
1: but what if it's not built? And I think I mean Alberta Party leader Stephen Mandel yesterday, uh, when he was scrumming on his kind of um, reaction to the budget, he said maybe it will be built, but it's not built today. And I think that's where kind of a lot of criticism over including the Trans Mountain revenue comes into play because if it's not, maybe it'll maybe it will be built next year. But we don't, it's a hypothetical at this point.
0: And we asked the finance officials about this and finance officials, God bless them, they're so good at answering journalists' questions most of the time, aren't they? Um, yeah. I love they take that, them that, very well. I, I love the technical briefings. <laughs> yeah, um, And said, look, but why are you including that? Why are you including the Trans Mountain Pipeline? Because of the fact it's not built yet. Why, why is that even in there? I don't understand. One of the f- officials said, well, you know we have to use our best guesses whenever we're formulating these budgets and right now all of our best guesses add up to the fact that this thing's going to be built therefore we included it I asked Josie the same question like yeah but what if it doesn't get built he went well it will get built yeah but what if he doesn't yeah but it will
1: yeah but what if he doesn't yeah but it will like that was kind of this bizarre cyclic conversation people did ask what is your contingency plan and there isn't one
0: yeah
2: well, they said that we have all kinds of contingencies. What if A, B, C, or D happen, right? And on the other side, what if we get a sudden rush of revenue right. we weren't expecting, right? But it was a cop-out, I thought. That was a bad answer because the, the Trans Mountain is so unknown at this point. Mm-hmm. How can they not have a contingency plan for
1: that? Specifically for that pipeline that is now kind of the focus of all political discussion in Alberta.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he, and to, further to your point, Keith, of course, Joe Cece said, well, you know... Getting back to balance doesn't just... It's not just about the pipeline. We have lots of plans. Look, we're going to keep spending under control. We're going to keep it below population growth and inflation. Uh, we're going to make sure that no one gets golf memberships.
2: And we're going to diversify the economy too, yep. right? Yep.
0: On. Yep. Just like we've been diversifying the economy for the last 50 years. Diverse, diverse, diverse. Interestingly, on the diversification point... Um, the NDP didn't have anything new in the budget that they hadn't already announced specific to diversification,
1: and that's yeah, that was interesting in this budget to go in hoping to kind of see a bunch of new announcements because obviously that's what journalists like that's the best. Like. Um, yeah. I want something
0: shiny in my life.
1: Yeah, like it was you know the petrochemical diversification program, and that was set at 500 million uh, in royalties, which royalty credits, which is what we expected, and yeah, it's all it's announcements that happened in the last yeah. few weeks. The the,
3: the interactive digital announcement had already been made and a lot of the funding announcements had already been made. That's the other thing I'm looking for is, you know, what new money is there? Well, I mean, there, you know, there was money announced for the, uh, the, the Megalab, uh, but we knew that was coming. We didn't know the exact number. It went up. Slightly.
2: Well, the original price that HS had a couple of years ago was 325 million. We're now hearing it's going to be almost 600 million. So that's, yeah, okay. uh, that's, so that's enormous. So
3: that's yeah, you know, that's huge. Then that's that's to build a new consolidated uh, medical laboratory, uh, basically on the south campus lands near where the medical examiner's office is. Uh, so you know, but but was there anything? I Me, mean, there wasn't a brand new hospital announcement. There no. wasn't a brand new. I mean, most of the money, say, that U of A is getting is money that they already knew they were getting. Uh, And it's an interesting political question. Do you dilute... I mean, is it better to have these announcements come out over weeks of good news uh as opposed to letting it all out in one great big mega dump i don't yeah. know a big a big number vomit because yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, no, i mean may, maybe they reason that they get more bang for their pr buck mm. by announcing these things gradually over weeks but it certainly takes you know it's like if you open all the all your gifts starting December first. There's nothing left under the tree.
1: Well, and I think it's important to note, you know, when you don't have big announcements um, that are really interesting, then you know the numbers that you focus on are things like a 96 billion dollar debt yeah, load.
3: Yeah, yeah, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of distractions. I mean, I think it was uh, Jason Marcusoff and McLean's who made the point that you know uh, Ontario's uh, provincial deficit is going to be roughly the same as Alberta's, but. Kathleen Wynne has announced all kinds of really uh, ambitious—that's that's journalist code for—I don't know if that's going to work—you know, really ambitious plans for you know uh, university tuition and pharmacare care and all you know all kinds of of goodies um, to buy people back with their own money. Uh, but this budget doesn't really—you know—it it, it is neither. Fiscally hawkish, nor is it terribly generous. It's kind of dull.
2: It's also not the election budget. That's going to come next year. And I, yeah,
0: well that and that's true. I mean, wins is an election budget. Yes. yeah You've got to have bells and whistles in an election budget, that's for sure. What was funny this week as well, speaking about pre-announcements, uh, was that uh, I was at AAM, AAMDC, now called RMA, Rural Municipalities of Alberta Conference, uh, Spring Convention, and they had their bear pit in the morning with the um, a bunch of ministers, uh, 17 ministers on Wednesday morning. And at the very end, Brian Mason got up and said, now I'm going to make an announcement. I was like seriously, Brian? And he announced about the rural bus service that uh, they're going to give money to municipalities, to like small municipalities to connect them with medium-sized cities and that kind of thing. He said, "Oh, you'll find out more in the budget tomorrow." So even that he couldn't keep under his hat. Fair enough that he did it at AMDC because it's your perfect audience, right?
1: That's the last time you ever get to say that. AMDC. AMBC. And now it will only be known as RMA. Formerly known as AMBC. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm just going to call it Ruma. rumor.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it was one of those, you know, it was yet another pre-announcement where he uh, kind of made a joke about it actually and said, you know, you might hear more but- more details tomorrow. Oh, I can't say that. And kind of turns around and looks at Joe Cece. <laughs> <laughs> and then goes, I don't know. Maybe sometime soon you'll hear more about that.
1: <laughs> subtle. Subtle, Brian. And Nailed we, it. And we are going to have press conferences in the next few weeks kind of re-announcing these things. Yes. That's my prediction.
0: Absolutely. So next week, Rachel Notley is going to be touring around the province selling the budget. Uh, she's going to a number of different municipal, well, I guess, areas. She's going to be in St. Albert, I believe, on Monday. Um, I think maybe going to Red Deer, heading down to Lethbridge on Thursday. I know that for sure.
2: Well, and the Red Deer folks may not be too happy with her. They were looking for a bunch of money for hospital upgrades there, and they got nothing except a million bucks for planning. So,
0: how was the health side of things, Keith? Did anything in there surprise you?
2: Not really. I, I, they've pretty much uh, telegraphed what they were going to do ahead of time, like pretty much everything else. Um, and so, it's a three percent increase uh, in each of the next three years. Three uh, percent, though, at a, you know when you're over twenty billion dollars for a health budget, I mean that's seven hundred. 800 million dollars more per year um, that is still below population and inflation growth uh, which some critics pointed out and then there's others that said the the government needs to restrain themselves a l- even more than that because you know that th- this is a health budget that's threatening to overwhelm the entire budget It's 40 percent of the entire provincial budget now and we're going to see that increase in future years if they don't do anything
3: but that and that doesn't inc- that doesn't include the mega lab. That's, that, that doesn't include that's, infrastructure. That, that's,
2: yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's capital. Yeah, yeah. and uh, of course a lot of the capital budget is devoted to health projects right now in Calgary Cancer Centre New Edmonton Hospital and, the, and this lab.
1: Is it common for provinces to have a 40% health budget?
2: Some provinces, yes. Some provinces are a little lower than that, but every province is struggling with this right now. Aging population, more chronic disease. Yeah, it is eating up uh, a huge amount of uh, Canadian uh, tax dollars right now.
0: Speaking of chronic... There was an interesting cannabis link in the budget. Do you guys <laughs>
1: use that word? I, yeah. love, I, I loved that uh, link, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Segway. It's um, a very nice segue. Yeah, I think, you know, it, the the cannabis stuff in the in the budget wasn't unexpected at all because we've known that uh, Alberta hasn't expected to make money off it for a couple of years while they set up the system. But it was the first time that cannabis was included in a provincial budget in Alberta. And um, what we know is that it'll be basically... Un- we won't see a profit from uh, the cannabis tax revenue until 2021. Um, And at that point, it's going to be a very small profit. They're projecting about 37 million. Mm -hmm.
3: It was just, I mean, do I remember correctly? They said it's going to be almost hundred million dollar loss they the first year. It, the, it's a,
1: It's like forty three million dollar loss the first year, or the second year, in forty seven the first year or something. Oh, but it adds I'm up to at those about. Two together, yeah, yeah, so it adds up to ninety million over the first two years. Um and. And it's what I thought was interesting about the budget, though, is that municipalities are worried that they're going to be kind of burdening the cost of of these setups, so like enforcement officers and um, and that kind of thing. And there's no plan yet uh for the province to be sharing any of their projected revenue when it eventually does come into play with municipalities so i think that's going to be kind of an interesting conversation ahead of legalization july 1st
3: yeah and of course your municipalities there was uh another hit in the budget which is that the uh the msi grants uh the the sort of the standard infrastructure grants that, that cities get every year are down significantly uh, but good news for the city of Edmonton because they got money for the West LRT line uh, at a time when Edmonton City Council has spent the last three days arguing about the future of the West LRT line. So guys over at City Hall, don't mess this up. Take the money, build the line. Don't get distracted with Maglevs or gondolas, gondolas, uh, gondolas, 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 or, gondolas. Or, or dirigibles, or just just build
2: more funiculars. More. Funiculars.
3: Just take the money for the tram and build the tram
0: let's move on to um <laughs> let's move on to caribou because this was a what did I call it? Caribou Monday, wasn't it? Clirty? Yeah, so I think
1: the reason why this is particularly interesting is that it basically took up an entire question period this week. Yeah. People really, politicians really care about this plan.
0: And and people in the North do as
1: well. Yeah. It's a huge thing. It's just in Edmonton, the yeah. Caribou
0: plan probably doesn't have a huge impact I our think daily lives. in
1: the press gallery, people were just a bit surprised that it took up so much of the questions in one day. But it is, it's interesting. So what's going on is uh, basically the Alberta government has said it's suspending its Caribou range planning um, until the federal government steps up and gives funding so what we're trying to do is save uh, save endangered or I- Save threatened caribou um in 15 species at risk risk, yeah in 15 different uh ranges um it does affect people in northern alberta because that's where the caribou live and um you know residents are really concerned that it's going to uh affect their economy if we create kind of conservation areas um so basically what happened on uh monday was that um the opposition leader jason kenney was ready to bring forward a petition uh from people in northern alberta saying you know that they're concerned about what's going on uh but then environment and parks minister shannon phillips stepped forward and said we are suspending our planning we um sent a letter to the federal government we need this more warming, money from as them. it happens yeah <laughs> it happened on the same day so uh so it was what just kind of an interesting back and forth such a coincidence
0: take it as you will as politicians spinning perhaps but apparently it really was coincidence but, but you know
3: but, but, but this is a huge issue. I mean, I I had I had I had a breakfast meeting the other day with a, a municipal official from Whitecourt Court uh, who was saying to me that they'd had a big protest outside the legislature that I had known nothing about, uh, saying that, you know, what the federal plan calls for is sort of the effective sterilization of huge swaths of land. Uh, because this is not so much about protecting caribou per se it is, as it is about protecting caribou habitat. And since pretty much everything up there is caribou habitat, uh, he said that, you know, that if you count a seismic line as, you know, the presence of a seismic line is disrupting the habitat, that basically you're, you're saying with this plan, with the federal plan, that you can't do anything because everything has to be reserved for the caribou. And he said to me, you know, he, he likes caribou. He doesn't want caribou to be, you know... Extinct or extirpated, but he, but he said that the plan uh, that they were presented with is unworkable. So it's interesting to see the the province, you know, pushing back.
1: Well, I think what's and what I thought was really startling about it was that um, basically the province says it's a one billion dollar price tag over four decades to uh, implement this plan. So and that's a s- lot of money.
0: Sorry, to give you some example of. of exactly how big of an issue this is up north they had a a town hall in high level and 1500 people showed up
2: that's like the whole town probably or close to Yeah, that's (laughs) a lot of people
0: showing up to a town hall in high level in high level yeah that's massive so i mean it is a huge issue and it was interesting because you could tell that the ucp had had all their questions prepped in advance and then Phillips kind of said, no, yeah, we're suspending that, actually, because we don't like it. And by the way, Kenny, how come if it was so crap, why didn't you do anything about it when you're in Ottawa? It's your people who came up with this plan. He turned around. We, I asked him this in the scrum after question period, and he said, you know what? That's actually a really fair criticism. We should have done something about it, but, you know, we didn't. So fair cop to the minister for bringing that up, because that's, that's true. Well, that fascinating i wish i'd seen that yeah it was it it was interesting because you don't usually get someone go yeah no fair call yep we should have done something about that but you know but this is this is a
3: tension i mean i'm not interested in seeing woodland caribou uh disappear but if you the only way conservation works is if you get people who are local to buy into it if you set up a conservation
0: plan that has no buy-in from local residents, it is not going to work no matter what. Yeah, so they're going to do a socioeconomic study and basically figure out how exactly this plan will impact northern Alberta because some estimates are saying it's like ninety-one $91 billion or something. Oh, and um, revenue loss, in, yeah, yeah, potential revenue loss as a result of this plan, yeah.
1: So. And it, so the yeah the group that was um, calling for this socioeconomic assessment is the Northwest Species at Risk Committee, and basically they, um, you know, from talking to them, they said that right now they're able to have control over the land; um, they're able to do uh, kind of hunting, which controls uh, different balances of species, and they just are worried that this yeah. caribou plan will completely kind of destroy not only like the environmental balance of life there but also just any chance to actually develop that land yeah
0: okay very briefly i want to talk about marlon schmidt because marlon schmidt advanced education minister he's not known necessarily for going off script uh he can be pretty snarky in question period absolutely but is he known for just giving a scrum with colorful comments no no he's not known for that um I scrummed him on the way into Cabinet Inns on Monday. I was the only one there for whatever reason. There was something else happening at that point. What was it?
1: I hope so, because otherwise I should have been there. (laughs) There was
0: something (laughs) happening. That's why I was the only one there, some kind of announcement. Anyway, that's irrelevant. I'm sure it was very important. But Marlon Schmidt came up and on his way into Cabinet, I was like, "Hey, Hey, how's it going, Minister? I have been very sick over the past week. I've not been following the news because I've been trying hard to not die instead. So I didn't know a lot of stuff that had happened. he said he actually hijacked me into interviewing him. It was – I got insed at ins, basically. (laughs) (laughs) He said – Oh, grainy. So I assume you want to talk to me about the uh, University of Alberta and their budget. And I'm like, uh, do do y- yes, do yes, I, yes know? I do,
3: sure. And he mm-hmm. goes,
0: probably. I mean, they just voted that they're going to cut their budget by four percent. And I'm like, did they? When was that? And he was like, on oh, Friday. Oh, I assume you have thoughts about that, do you? And he's like, I do have thoughts about that. Would you like to hear my thoughts about that? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not, Minister? Let's hear your thoughts about that. And then he proceeded to go and basically just crap on David Turpin, the uh, president of the university, and say he was lining his pockets and not taking a pay cut when... They're going around and making all these cuts at the university.
2: Well, not to mention raising fees on residents yes. and, and international students right. as well. Yeah. So he yes. told
3: he told you that Turpin was lining his pockets. Yes. He told Michelle Belfontaine of the CBC that Turpin was rummaging in the pockets of the students. He was sort of pocket, <laughs> He was sort of like, what has it got in its pockets?es <laughs> <laughs> uh, Now you know. There is certainly an argument to be made that David Turpin is extremely well compensated. His total comp, he has a base salary of $500,000 a year, but he gets a very nice house to live in and pension benefits, and it's all calculated to be worth effectively $824,000 a year, which is, you know, more than eight times what I will ever earn. Um, It's uh, a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but it is significantly less than his predecessor, Indira Samura Sakura, made, and it's the amount that he negotiated with the previous Board of Governors. So we have history in this province. Fred Horn, when he was the Minister of Health, got really mad at how much various executives at Alberta Health Services were making. And he told uh, the board of Alberta Health Services to do something about those contracts. And the board said, well, we can't, Those are those are contracts. And so he fired the board. And then he found out that in fact, Breaking contracts is really expensive, so I don't know. I don't know. Like I don't yeah, know. What, I don't breaking know, news. I don't know what the heck was up with Marlon Schmidt, but like, what is his point when he says Turpin is lining his pockets? I mean, that sounds like malfeasance. Is does he like? Does he want
0: the board to break the contract on what basis? Basically, he wants us to come back to the review, right? Saying that these people are making too much money, and Albertans don't like it when publicly paid officials make yeah, but a the, ton of money, but it's a, a a school board or
3: a, a, a you know a government board is different from a university. Universities have been granted in law and in cultural tradition tremendous autonomy. The government appoints a board of governors it happens to be chaired by Michael Fair who's not exactly. You know, he's not exactly anti-New Democrat. I mean, Michael Fair is the chair of the Board of Governors. Turpin doesn't set the budget. The Board of Governors approved the budget. The Board of Governors says that the university has a $14 million structural deficit, uh, that they have to address it, that they're they're asking for a 4% cut in discretionary spending only because they can't cut money that the government gives that's tied to specific programs. So they've all, Turpin's already cut executive salaries by sixteen percent. This will be another four percent cut uh, from administration as well as from other things. I mean, I, I understand the minister's frustration. I think the university's admin is top heavy. I I think that they pay too much money to people to push paper and not enough money to the people who actually teach the classes. That said. There'll be another contract with a new board of governors. And in the meantime, to somehow make it sound like Turpin is literally stealing money from people. Mm. I mean, frankly, if he gave up his whole dang salary and just, you know, sold pencils outside his pretty house in Glenora, uh, that still wouldn't do anything to balance the
0: university's budget. <laughs> oh, it might, Paula.
3: And what just was... come up with a great
0: plan. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, Turpin's response? So I called Turpin's office because, as you just said, Paula, there were... They were directed comment. They were comments directed at Turpin. Very personal. And yes, um, and which is why I called the president's office directly, and they said, "Oh no, you'll just nah, we'll put you through to someone else." So they put me through to someone else, who went, "Nah, we'll put you through to communications." So the communications guy was like, "He said what?" And I went, "Yeah." So I'm just saying that Turpin might want to have a response. Um, the response I got was not from Turpin; it was from Michael Fair, who was basically we are – very surprised that Malin Schmidt said this. What what Fair said to me is that Fair's a very
3: careful man. He didn't say that the minister was vindictive. He said the remarks were almost vindictive (laughs) and he didn't say that they were being threatened. He said it was almost like they were being threatened. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting because there's a long history in this province of governments appointing chairs to the Board of Governors who are like, you know, party members and good loyalists and they figure that the chair of the Board of Governors will be on the side of the government. And almost inevitably, you put somebody in that chair and they care about the university more than they care about their political, you know, appointers. And so FAIR is following in quite a venerable tradition of pushing back. Now, I mean, I wrote a column that said that. A lot of people got mad at me and said, how dare you, Paula Simons, be in favor of higher fees for students I feel the pain of people. I mean, you know, I I just finished writing my daughter's final tuition check for her undergraduate degree, and then will it be the next degree after this? I know what it's like to write those checks. It is painful, but um, charging international students an extra $600 a year, it's a 3.4% increase, the government doesn't provide any money to the U of A for international students. They have to pay their own costs. The government doesn't provide any to the U of A to pay for for residents' meal plans. Those have to be cost recovery. So, you know, do I think it's unreasonable for the university to, to increase fees for foreign students by 3.4%? Frankly, I don't. I think it's prudent management, and I and I applaud them for putting the interests of the university ahead of what's politically expedient.
0: You hate foreigners, don't you?
3: I love foreigners. <laughs> I mean, but like, what, what do people think foreign... I mean, foreign students are are... They're, an, they're a resource for universities. Universities across the country rely on foreign students as an income stream. They, you know, sure, there, there, are, there are scholarships for kids who come from de- the developing world, but you know, if you're trying to attract affluent American students to your university, charging them $21,000 a year is less than they would likely pay at a comparable university in the United States. So we have to understand that we're in an international market.
0: We have to price ourselves accordingly. Fair enough. And you heard it there first from Paul Simon. doesn't hate foreigners, uh, <laughs> le- allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Well, now, now, now that you're not a foreigner anymore, now that you're a citizen, am I? Yeah, greenie. I'm, I'm splities. Splities foreign Ken They call me. Um, let's move over to our regular segment. Good stuff from the gallery, in which we recommend things that we have read or listened or listened to or seen lately that we think you, dear listeners, might also enjoy. Clancy, what you got for us this week, mate?
1: Sure. Well, on top of the budget coverage, you should read from a dozen stories. All of it. There's all lots of details about what's going on in the Alberta economy. Um, I'm recommending a piece from the New York Times um, that I thought was really interesting. It's called A Bright... The headline is A Bright Light Dimmed in the Shadows of Homelessness. And it's about a really promising young dancer and kind of how her um, life, uh, partly because of mental illness, uh, she ended up... Uh, becoming homeless and then kind of her life after that and it's a really um, interesting kind of profile of someone and uh, yeah it really stayed with me so I'm going to recommend that piece Thank you very much. Paula, what do you have for us? Uh,
3: Well this isn't exactly shameless self-promotion, it's only a tiny bit shameless Um, On Monday evening I had the privilege of moderating the first ever U of A Chancellor's Forum, which was on the twentieth anniversary of the Vreen decision. Uh and for those of you who couldn't be in the fully packed hall, we uh Ed Kaiser uh recorded the video for us and it is something. I've I've moderated a lot of panels and forums in my day and some of them are pretty boring. Some of them <laughs> are just not interesting. This is the antithesis of of that. It is it is uh, moving and funny and, you know, these are really articulate people who are on the front lines of the fight for civil rights. Uh, Sheila Grekel, Michael Fair, Doug Stollery, Julie Lloyd, Christopher Wells. I would highly recommend that you watch this or, you know, listen to it as a podcast.
0: It's It's a thing. Jason Kenny was invited to that actually by um, NDP MLA Michael Connolly. Yeah, Michael, offered
3: and- to take him as his date, but mm. uh, give- Kenny had a
0: lot on. I asked him; he said, "I've got three events on tonight. I well, guess I just you can't know make what?
3: it." Jason, if you're listening, uh, we have the entire uh, forum on video, it. and I will personally send Jason Kenny the link on Twitter.
0: That's very nice of you. Very thoughtful. thoughtful. Thoughtful, Paula. I'm also going to recommend a piece from New York, the New York Times called The Man Who Knew Too Little. It is a really interesting read. Uh, the most ignorant man in America knows that Donald <laughs> Trump is president, but that's about it. Living a liberal fantasy is complicated. It's about a bloke in Ohio called Eric Hagerman who decided once Trump, Donald Trump won the election... He just wasn't going to read the news anymore. He's not going to follow the news. And, in fact, he has this self-imposed media blackout. He doesn't let anyone of his friends or family talk to him about anything to do with the news. They're barred from mentioning everything. He goes early to the coffee shop to make sure he doesn't happen to hear conversations with people. He wears headphones around that have white noise in them so he doesn't accidentally catch skerricks of conversations. It is an extremely interesting little eccentric <laughs> experiment is what they call it in the New York Times. Um, he's got some flack for being basically, you know, living a life of privilege and that he's able to do that. Uh, but, yeah, it is, it, it is something and you should read it. Keith, uh, okay, take us home, mate.
2: Well, unlike Paula, who went uh, just a little bit into self-promotion, I'm going full-bore into <laughs> self-promotion, which I never do. Graham does it all the time. <laughs> this is the first time I've done it. Uh, I'm actually re- recommending two things, one of which is mine. It's a piece that ran on... F- mine. mine. Um, <laughs> I, I rule. I rule. Yes, it, it ran today uh, in Friday's journal in the back pages. No one saw it because you had to go through all the budget coverage. It's uh, really
3: good. I read it.
2: There you go. Thank you. It is the, the whole history of the Domtar site in uh, northeast edmonton oh, uh the okay. soap opera that has gone on for years between the developer and the government uh all the bad behavior of, of both sides as and why we have wound up with this huge mess uh, a, hu-
1: uh, uh, a huge poison <laughs> berm. Uh,
2: yes yes uh up in northeast edmonton so it, it's a, it's an interesting read not because i wrote it but just because of all the all the information that's in there uh and it's an important uh i think it's an important thing for edmontonians to know what's going on in their city in, in this area uh the second thing i'm going to recommend is has nothing to do with me. This is uh, a piece by Cheryl Ubelacker of the Canadian Press. It ran in, around the country in a number of places. Um, and this, it's a story about uh, uh, an increasing number of children in Canada are being raised by their grandparents. And this is a trend that is being partially attributed to the opioid crisis. Parents in the prime of their life are being killed by opioids uh, and grandparents are having to take over the childcare duties.
0: All right, thank you so much, Keith. Uh guys, thank you so much for joining me. Clancy, Paula, and Keith Duran and Sean Butts who is here to film some of this and put it online at Edmontonjournal dot com where you can find all the past episodes of the Press Gallery Podcast. And you can see our pretty new table. Yeah. It is a nice table. It's new. Mm. And it's roundish, and it's got fake wood grain, or is it real wood grain? No, it's fake. fake. That's wood definitely green. fake. But wood on, grain. on your <laughs>
3: on your phone, it will look totally real, just like. <laughs> and on your phone, I will totally look thirty five and one hundred and twenty pounds.
2: <laughs> you, you're not.
0: Well, I I I, I know I'm thirty two and one hundred and fifteen. The camera puts a little weight on. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining me, and join us this time again next week on the Press Gallery.